podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dolwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And Scott, tell us what we've got for tonight. Well, this week we have a suggestion that was given to us uh, through our Google Plus community by... Uh... You mean we received a letter? <laughs> we received um, a post on G+, which is, is that? close is that, to that's letters. That's like a letter, right? It's like we a letter, received yes. a letter from a listener. Yeah. It's, it's like a letter, only made up of electrons. It sounds like fan mail. It is. Well, People, people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's as close to fan mail as we get, so yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, and, and yes, this comes from Alistair Warmington uh, on uh, Google+, Plus, uh, who has suggested that we do a show about uh, how to emulate different genres of horror within Call of Cthulhu, or how to approach different genres of horror. Um, so we're going to waffle on about that for a bit, and maybe something good will come of it. Well, Scott, man, we're going to talk about it in, in, in an informing and entertaining way. Yeah, that too. After we did a bit of brainstorming to work out, hang on, there are other types of horror beyond Lovecraftian? What, what is this? What is this crazy talk? <laughs> it's unnatural. Well, actually, by definition, Lovecraftian horror is unnatural. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> are we um, going to start with Lovecraftian, then? Uh, yeah, well, uh, yes. I, I think, first of all, I mean, like, let's, let's talk a little bit about you know, what we mean by different subgenres of horror. Uh, what do you I, mean by different subgenres of horror? I... Uh, Oh, now you're bloody asking. I was going to ask you, Paul. <laughs> I was going to throw my little pony out there as being quite horrific. But... Okay, yeah, th- thanks, Matt. <laughs> no, I mean, so like ice cream, it comes in many flavours. Yes, but you know, like like you know, Neapolitan ice cream or you know, just about anything from Ben and Jerry's. These things mix together a fair bit as well. <laughs> Neapolitan. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. You're, you're, it's all right. You just eat random strawberry. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, no I, I, the chocolate. The chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate is wrong. I'll, I'll have the strawberry. You can have the chocolate. Paul can have whatever the hell the third one is. There we go. The vanilla one. There you go. Actually, I'll fight you for the vanilla. Anyway, we, I, I can't help but feel we're getting slightly off topic. This is what Alistair asked us to talk about, right? Flavors of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I want ice cream now. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, these these things do tend to blend together a little bit. Um, but we'll try to isolate what we think are the kind of different subgenres that we've seen in games. And by subgenres, we, we just basically mean different kind of modes, different approaches. Um, you know, it's, sometimes, you know, it can be just as simple as the intent you go into the game with that, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, perhaps have a good laugh or keep it, you know, deathly serious or something like that. And that'll help to establish the subgenres genre um and sometimes it's it's a question of just bringing in ideas from you know suitable media um when 
before we launch into this, I, I just want to uh, kind of pimp one of my favourite games because I think it does a better job of explaining this than anything we can come up with in, in 40 minutes. Um, there, there, there's a, a British indie uh, horror RPG that was published, well, for the first time about six or seven years ago, but the second edition came out about two or three years ago, called Dead of Night. I think a bit more than six or seven years yeah, ago. Is it, that, is it, I thought it was yeah, that long. Yeah, um, but yeah, Dead of Night. It's it's described as the B movie horror game, um, and it uh, it gives directions in it and mechanical tweaks for how to emulate different kinds of horror movies. Um, and uh, it does quite a good job of breaking down the different categories. And if you want inspiration, you know, for for how to emulate different kinds of horror films, even within Call of Cthulhu, um, you can get quite a lot of good information out of Dead of Night. And if you're a bibliophile, you'll love the first edition if you can find a copy. <laughs> yes, the, yeah. the, the first edition is tidy, but the second edition is much better because I wrote part of it. Let's, let's start looking at individual subgenres then. And the, the first and most obvious one to go with, because it's the default mode in Call of Cthulhu, is Lovecraftian horror. So, what do, first of all, what do we mean by Lovecraftian horror? Lots of tentacles going mad and die. No! We <laughs> <laughs> oh. mean... Purple plushy monsters <laughs> that look friendly and cuddly. <laughs> oh yeah, look, I've got hundreds of them at home. And then eat your brain. Yeah, and funny animations. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Lil Cthulhu does do spring to mind. Yeah, mm. uh, right. Uh, I think we covered that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good job that Lovecraft didn't believe in a life after death because he'd be suffering through it. <laughs> Funnily enough, there is a uh, animation that I've seen online of. Um, uh, having tea with the little plush Cthulhu and then cutting to a dark and stormy night in Providence where it zooms <laughs> under the ground and there's Lovecraft's skeleton bashing its head against the inside <laughs> of the casket. Why? Why? <laughs> well, I think there's only one way to know what Lovecraftian is and that's to read Lovecraft, really, because as much as we see all this other um, crap um, online that have been derived and inspired by his work... And Brian Lumley. Um, and what? And Brian Lumley. Okay. Um, we, we do not speak at the dark one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should um, not be named. <laughs> you, you go back to Lovecraft and it doesn't take much, many, many pages before you go, oh, right, yeah, I remember now, this is what it's all about. Yeah, it's all about the adjectives. <laughs> the eldritch um, adjectives. I, I think an important part of Lovecraft, or a, a starting point for a Lovecraftian game, is that humans are very human and... Well, and insignificant. Well, the not so much that they're insignificant, their story, they are very much based in the mundane human world. And that's, um, you know, an important aspect of it, to try and root it in, in, in the, re well, contemporary reality for, for him, but not necessarily contemporary reality, but a rea realistic human world. Mundane normalcy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah in fact, I've, Constantly been uh, rereading supernatural horror and literature recently, and that I mean Lovecraft actually explicitly makes that point in yeah. there. Uh, you know, in, in the weird tale that you know, for him, a true weird tale should be absolutely grounded in you know the mundane world and have one specific focused weird element about it. Yeah, uh, he, he, he you know complained specifically about some of the old Gothic novels that they had a scattergun approach to you know throwing in just weird shit all over the place and the kitchen sink. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, and he thought that that was detrimental, uh, and that you know his style of horror requires a very specific focused element. 
mixed in with that is the concept of cosmic horror, um, whereby mankind is then cast in, in the light of kind of insignificance. Um, and, the, you know, we're not some great power in the universe as mankind. It, it doesn't put us in, in the way that some fiction does, that, you know, mankind creates its own reality or forges its own destiny or is the, you know, the keeper of the earth or... Um, has magical powers or, yeah. Well, not inherently anyway, yeah. It doesn't have any any great significance. Um, and these kind of godlike beings outside don't really pay us any heed and, and we're pretty in- irrelevant to them. Yeah. Yeah, and also that these these you know things from outside are fundamentally ineffable. That they are you know beyond all human comprehension. That you know we can perhaps see aspects of them, but we'll never really understand what they're about. You know they they are to us as you know we are to ants. Puts things in in inverted commas perspective, really. Yes, uh, and 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 also there's a generally a fairly uh, bleak aspect to Lovecraftian horror which which ties in with these elements that you know, um, man rarely f- wins yeah f- fundamentally you know you, you can win you know small victories uh, perhaps um, but you, you'll never win the end game because you know you're up against a, you know, a, a, a foe should you choose to make it to your foe that you just simply cannot beat and cannot comprehend yeah. that that idea of um, something that man was not meant to know. I think if in the narrative of the game or the story you kind of get it all and you grasp it all, then then it's kind of failed to some degree. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I'm a big fan of not having tidy explanations in, in Cthulhu scenarios. Um, I, I like stuff that's open-ended. I like stuff that's hints and, and mysteries. And if it's you know if it wraps up tidily or it's all because such and such, then you know, that's a bit too Scooby-Doo for my tastes. If I remember right, when you ran, uh, thinking of another genre that isn't so much horror, but when you ran Cthulhu Noir, um, you hadn't plotted out an end or an explanation for what was happening. You just went with what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I left it entirely open to the players' interpretations, but you know, again, that was the interpretations the characters were bringing on it. That you know, maybe that had nothing to do with what was actually going on, but that's that's the lens through which your character saw the world, and it made sense. So aside from uh, Lovecraft's tales, can we kind of um, sum this up in in films? Um, well, in, uh, in the, the mouth of madness, yes, yeah. I mean, there, there are plenty of good Lovecraftian films out there. I mean, there are plenty which you know are you know good fun films derived from Lovecraft, which aren't necessarily mm. very Lovecraftian, like Reanimator. Um, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, yeah, but we're trying to get across the yeah. um, communicate what a Lovecraftian. Oh yeah, uh, no, no, no. I was just saying genre is. The, the point I was making was just because it's based on Lovecraft doesn't mean that it's going to be a Lovecraftian film. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Dagon I think gets you know a little bit towards that from time to time. From Beyond, I think is you know for all the sexual titillation and and over the top body horror, I think it's actually quite a good Lovecraftian film. Uh, because again, you know, it does present uh, these these ineffable forces from outside and how they affect humanity. I'd say there are aspects of some films like Event Horizon that sort of touch on it. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's, it's not. Yeah. It, it doesn't claim to, to take inspiration from Lovecraft, but that whole thing of going through another, another dimension into a kind of world of chaos that drives people insane, and there is no real rationale for that. That, they, that seems pretty Lovecraftian to me. 
And, and I, I think there are kind of hints of that in some of David Lynch's films as well. That, I mean, they're, they're yeah. much more you know humanocentric, but um, at the same time, there's this constant feeling that you know, you know, things are subject to forces you know completely beyond human comprehension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, as far as how to use it in a game, well, I mean, the simplest answer is run Call of Cthulhu as it's written. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there is elements you're looking to bring in. I mean, the whole thing that it you know is about seeking out forbidden knowledge. It's about that knowledge destroying you. You know, it's about the things you cannot comprehend, uh, and and yeah, it, it, it's about a kind of messy, um, ineffable, uncaring cosmos. Also, I think it's about revelation of of some... um, So you're starting off with mundane human characters uh, that um, are either in a situation that they have to try and um, come to terms with or they undertake some kind of investigation, in in inverted commas, um, and it leads them down a path which seems to make sense and everything seems to be fitting into place, albeit perhaps unpleasant, uh, but at some point, there should be some revelation which turns everything on its head. Yes. I think and that is, um, I mean, it's something that Kiri, Mike and I used to refer to as the all fuck moment <laughs> when the players kind of think they know what's going on and then you throw something in and suddenly everything's turned on its head and they realise, damn, we... Yeah. All your assumptions we thought, are wrong. Yeah, we, we just put ourselves in a much worse situation and it's or it's you know it's all our doing, um, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think that's you know inherently Lovecraftian. I think that's a you know a powerful theme in a lot of um, uh, horror stories in general. And you know, yes, I mean there are certainly you know that comes up as a theme in some of Lovecraft stories. But I think the italicized uh, text at the ending of The Outsider, you know, he, yes. he touches the mirror, and oh, yes. he's a ghoul or yeah. whatever it is. Yes. Um, uh, the 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 end of the shadow of Rainsmith. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that that I think that's a strong Lovecraftian theme. Is 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 that that yeah. stripping away of of the veil and realizing that you know we thought things were bad, but suddenly they're so much worse. But and it pitches us, you know, it like pulls the the, the floor out from underneath you, and you're just falling into the, the void of cosmic horror. But but I mean, you know, that, that that kind of revelation works in other forms of horror as well. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it, it, as I said, it's not inherently Lovecraftian, but it, it certainly helps build a very strongly Lovecraftian feel. Hmm. Yeah, it's a device I've seen used a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the classic example of it, you know, from a non-Lovecraftian film, I'd say is Angel Heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that film. Yes. Um. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that is probably the easiest one to do because you don't need any mechanical tweaks. Uh, You don't need to go out of your way to find different source material. I suppose, you know, one thing that, yeah, is good to point out at this stage is that just because it's a published scenario for Call of Cthulhu doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Lovecraftian. There are other ones which are perhaps going to fit better into some of the subgenres we're going to talk about, particularly, I think, into the next one, which is kind of action or pulp horror. Mm. Um, so where do we see action and pulp horror? Where do we see that in? Let's talk about. Well, let's talk about general media, films, books. Well, I mean, from books, if you want to go back to the, um, you know, the, the, the source material, uh, some of the writers that followed Lovecraft definitely used much more of that mode. Uh, August Erlith, uh, yeah. his stories were a bit more pulpy than Lovecraft. Yeah, you know, summoning they, night gaunts and. 
flying through the skies, taking space mead and all that. Yeah, yeah, and and basically, you know, protagonists who you could use magic and tools and so on to actually, you know, stand a chance against the mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that, that's exemplified even more in Brian Lumley. Um, you know, once you get on to you know, particularly the execrable uh, Clock of Dreams, Titus uh, Crow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I have opinions. Um, <laughs> then, um, yeah, I, the, then yeah, it's, at some point there, it stops being Lovecraft and starts being Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, yeah, even dialing that back a bit. I mean, for inspiration, I mean, you could look at things like the Indiana Jones films. Well, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. First Indiana Jones film. I mean, that's. Yeah. There's some pretty horrific things in there that are pretty scary when you're a kid, when they open up the uh, Ark of the Covenant and um, you know people's faces are melting and so on. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing of going down caverns and yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty creepy. It mm-hmm. Definitely pulls on the kind of the horror genre. So when you're thinking action, the, the, the one that immediately leapt to mind for me, yeah, maybe just because I've got tentacles on the brain, um, thinking of Deep Rising. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I, and you know, even more action packed. You know, things like Predator. Mm. You know, that, that's you know a bunch of competent characters. Um, you know, dealing with a monster that is more powerful than they can deal with, and getting ripped to shreds. And yeah. some terrible accents, Rani. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's what we watch the films for. <laughs> Get to the chopper. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I, th- these. These are fundamentally defined by you know competent protagonists, um, by uh, you know lots of action scenes, lots of combat, um, but not just competent protagonists. Protagonists who take unrealistic amounts of damage and risk and survive um, pretty much unharmed, oh, and have countless ammo or bottomless ammo count magazines. Yes. Yeah, so we're getting into the kind of pulp. I, I guess we can have action horror. Can we have action horror without the pulp aspect? Yeah, I think so. To some degree. Um, I, uh, I mean, there are certainly films, you know, that are on the borderline there. You know, I, I'd say, you know, from Dust to Dawn, for example. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it pulpy. I mean, it's a you know, fairly splatter-filled horror film. Um, I was thinking know, more comedy. But... You know, the characters don't seem to be superhuman in it by any means, but, you know, they are competent. Well, apart from the vampires and werewolves. Yeah, <laughs> all right, the, the, the protagonists. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, you know... Um, even something like uh, perhaps Shaun of the Dead. Um, Again, comedy. Yeah, but 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 I mean the the, the point is that they uh, survive quite. Yeah, you know, uh, there's quite a lot of action that there's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess if we're going to have, have high action, uh, if we're going to have a lot of action and a lot of physical risk, um, then for our protagonist to survive to the end. Um, he, things are going to have to be stacked in his in his or her favour yeah. in some way, um, and that's either through a kind of pulp action whereby they take very little damage and deliver lots of damage, or they're just immensely lucky or skillful or something. But if they're coming into conflict with horrors, then by their very nature, horrors are pretty dangerous things, generally. A more more recent example I'm thinking of, even though it was toned toned back mild massively on the on the blood count, is um, World War Z. I, I still haven't seen that. No, I mean, no. it's it's not got a very pulpy feel to it. If anything, it's got as <laughs> I say, as much as a zombie film can be realistic, it's got a fairly realistic action action feel to it. It's not over the top dramatically, 
I mean, there's, there's some bits of the plot which are far too OTT, but at least the way the way I thought it was handled was okay. But nowhere nowhere near enough blood. <laughs> so I toned it down for a 15 rating. Just didn't work. Uh, I mean, as far as emulating this within games is concerned, though, um, th- th- this is slightly more problematic in Straight Call of Cthulhu. I mean, in 7th Ed, you've put in some you know, suggestions for how you can make the game a bit less lethal. Um, well, there's some, there's some suggestions for sort of pulp, combat pulp action. Yeah. Um, I mean, the risk is always that if you're writing a scenario for um, characters and you give them lots of combat, that you're going to get through lots of investigators. Yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you know, exactly. If you're happy with that, then that's fine. But if it's a one-off, that can be tricky. Um, but, yeah, it's a balance to be struck, really. Yeah, yeah. That's assuming that you know, you want to play with the the rules unchanged and sort of apply the templates of these films to a Call of Cthulhu mm. game, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you Mask of Nihilus, you mentioned, is exactly that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's known as a meat grinder of a campaign for a very good reason. Oh, you know, when I ran that. 25, 30 years ago, whenever. Um, I, I remember, you know, we, we played long sessions a bit, you know, six hour sessions, but we, you know, it, it was not unusual for us to get through three or four investigators in a session. <laughs> Gotta have a kill count. You gotta meet your quota as a keeper. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean that 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 one was just you know, the most brutal campaign I've ever seen, um, and yeah, I mean you could turn it into a very different beast by either using a different rule set with it or modifying the existing one. I think rule sets definitely. I mean, Trail Trail of Cthulhu has the two different modes between purist and pulp, and then also Realms of Cthulhu that uses Savage Worlds. That would be a perfect fit for something like that because that is yes. quite quite pulpy by by its very nature. Yeah. yeah, certainly different systems have a big effect on the feel of the game that you're playing. So, yeah, the, the next one on our list is black comedy, or comedy horror. Yeah, which, let's just stick with comedy, right? Cause, yeah, we've, we've touched upon a few examples, Shaun of the Dead, or the one that immediately leads to time for me, Army of Darkness, because that film rocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or even Evil Dead 2. Yeah, I've still not seen that. I've only ever seen the third one. Blimey. Oh, Matt. Evil Dead the remake had me laughing. Yeah, but not necessarily for the right reason. Oh, I don't know, no, no. Really? Oh, there were some yeah. pretty funny bits in it. And of course, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. yeah. Well, angry molesting tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but oh, there's, there's a rich, uh, rich history of comedy horror, you know, dating back to a lot of the uh, universal horror parodies to you know, Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein to, you know, if you want to go for more, um, you know, straight horror but with comedy elements, something like Reanimator, as we talked about before, mm. which is a hilarious film. I was thinking Abbott and Costello. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's a definite distinction there, perhaps between uh, things that in, set out to be funny, um, such as you know your, your young Frankenstein, uh, and things that are just maybe it's very black comedy that horror fans would would laugh at, just like, like decapitations and and horrific scenes that you know if you've got a festival crowd they're typically they would kind of have hysterics at right. dog soldiers um, where i'll give you this hope i'll give you the shits <laughs> so there, there are there are lines that are put in for, for comic effect and there are things that just happen to be funny and i think in call of cthulhu if, if you're running a game you can put in jokes and some just sometimes things will happen that are funny yes um so often by the result of a, a dice roll at a crucial moment 
um, that, that turns out to be a zero one or a or a hundred or something that, that is obviously going to be a freak occurrence that is going to steer the game in a weird direction. Or, or just by having you know a strange uh, and creative player in your group. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, of our old friend Mark, uh, who you know can can bring the weird to any game just oh yes yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the, the non-secretor let's remember which mark you're talking about yes yeah. how are you going to pick up that pickaxe without any thumbs or something like that, yes <laughs> i mean yeah i mean just of the dice one i was thinking of the other week when i um had 19 sam left and and jeff gave me a d20 <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> I'm coming what for you, Herbert. I'm coming for you. A twenty. Um, <laughs> well, 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 worse than that. I didn't. You mention that it was yeah. This, it this It was the special flashing D twenty, <laughs> which he never. Well, I'd never seen him use before, and he keeps in its box. That it came in, uh, and he unwrapped it. And said, "Oh wait, Paul, Paul, you must use my special D twenty. Well, special curse to D twenty. Yes. <laughs> it never made a roll before then, and it never will again. <laughs> I rolled it a few times afterwards, and nothing, nowhere near a twenty. No, it's, it's served its purpose now. That's yeah. It. As I held it in my hand, I thought, this has got to roll a 20 now. <laughs> it was just too cosmically perfect. So um, there's the kind of comedy that just arises out of the game. So I think even if you were playing a straight... Even if you were aiming for a, a fairly straight game without uh, and not encouraging to people to bring comedy in, I think hysterical things happen. I, and and also, you know, comedy and horror, kissing cousins anyway. You know, when you push things to extremes, when you have unexpected things happen, you know, the the two basic human reactions there are, you know, horror and laughter. Mm. And they quite often go hand in hand. People laugh mm. at things that scare them. Um, and I think it's quite possible to get comedic effects in horror games just by ramping everything up to 11. I mean, if you, you know, if you go to town with describing limbs flying around and blood splattering the walls and, you know, chainsaws and funny things being done with power tools, at some point, you know, it, it, it just gets so ridiculous that people start laughing. Yeah. And, you know, whether, whether that's because it's inherently funny or whether it's a, a safety valve or whatever, it doesn't really matter. It still turns it into black comedy. And as a... a- a perfect example of that, we have uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. Oh, oh God. God. Yes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, uh, that film had more fake blood used in it than any other film made to that time. They just bought gallons and gallons of Kensington Gore. And One of the few films that's made me want to throw up when I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> fighting off the, the zombies with yes. a... Yes. <laughs> uh, fighting off the zombies with a rotary mower. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's fine. It's just that bloody rice pudding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, um, I mean, when it comes to comedy, yeah, you can either uh, just let it organically happen or you can kind of inject it, but it it just very much depends on the the taste of you and your players. Yeah, I tried to throw in some um, comedy um, element into a newspaper article when I was playing the con game. And one of the other, one of my players actually said to me, oh, that was a bit over the top, wasn't it? And they were taking the game very, very seriously. And the fact that I'd made some comic reference to uh, something that, that one of them was doing in, in a kind of NPC role, um, yeah, it was like a bit of a slap in the face, really. And I thought, oh, shit, no, I'm supposed to be running a horror game here. 
Yeah, I, I, um, actually, that's a good point because yeah, I, I, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, particularly when I'm GMing. That yeah, I, I will push things too far and make it blackly humorous and so on. But sometimes, and I'll let the players know this ahead of time, I do want it to be played absolutely dead seriously. And yeah, it's in all of our nature as role players just to take the piss at the table. It's <laughs> yeah, a red flag to a bull with our group. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it's worked sometimes. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, I'll say, yeah, let, let's not play this for laugh. Uh, we'll play it seriously, and it does actually work. Sometimes. Um, I think, as as uh, keeper or GM, you are very much. Uh, you're not necessarily in total control of that, but particularly if the players don't know you so much, then they look to you for how to behave. Yeah. Uh, and if you hit the ground running, and you're kind of throwing off jokes and quips then they're going to sit back and realize oh this is a kind of funny game and i can relax and tell jokes here but if you're quite intense and serious and more than that if when they make jokes you don't react to it um or you kind of throw it back at them then people are going to kind of sit up and react to that and i've seen that happen um with 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 keepers uh thinking one of one keeper in particular uh who's got a very um serious uh, intense demeanor um and i sat in on one or two of his games and yeah i kind of thought oh blimey i've got a kind of you know no jokes here is this is this is serious just because <laughs> yeah. of the way he portrayed the characters and it made everybody kind of get on board with that and as long as long as it's still interesting and, and fun then um you know people are up for that i think you see, my, my immediate reaction, because that immediately made me think of a, a game I played at Conception a few years back, where the GM in that in that instance was very, again, very serious in their portrayal. Not deadpan, but almost the point of whatever you did, he just got the same kind of really intense reaction. And it almost got to the point where it was very hostile in, the, um, in this portrayal, to the point where it felt very much a battle between the players and the keeper. Oh, so it, it can go a little bit too far. In that respect, because I, I instantly yeah. found I did not like the keeper, and I won't play in the game that he's run since. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that varies. I mean, it depends how much you get the players to buy into that. I mean, communication is is core to the core to that. I mean, mm. yeah, you, from what you've said, he was very much leading by example, and that rubbed you up the wrong way. But if we, maybe if mm. he started off by saying, "Yeah, I want to play this absolutely seriously," so yeah, let's do this deadpan. Uh, well, it wasn't even it wasn't even humour. It was just a, yeah. It's just he went too far. But that's quality. That, that, I think that's about the the quality of it. You can be funny and good quality and have a good game. Oh, yeah. You can be serious and good quality and have a game. But if you don't bring quality to the game, then it doesn't matter about mm. what your subgenre is. It's going to suck. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you can get everyone on board for an absolutely serious game, it can be incredibly memorable. I, I ran a game of Dead of Night at a convention some years back where um, I, I'd, I'd set out to make it as grim and depressing as possible. I warned the players about this ahead of time, uh, you know, set their expectations, and, and you know, for the first half of the game there was you know, a bit of light relief, and you know, I, I, I'd, I'd back it down a bit, but there'd be you know, the occasional um, the, the, the occasional explosion of humour. Um, but, yeah, it, it, something happened about halfway through it. It's just like everyone clicked, and it just became this, this kind of spiral down uh, until the bleakest, darkest ending I've ever seen in a game, and we're all just sitting there staring at each other afterwards. I've just realised that <laughs> this is about comedy, ho- yeah. uh, about, um, comedy Com- horror, and we've steered it back to avoiding comedy <laughs> horror at all costs. <laughs> but, Basically, but- if you want to bring comedy to the game... 
You just need to quote Monty Python, I think. Oh, is, fuck is the, off. The, yeah, the, I'm, I'm, I'm with Scott on this. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what brings the funny. Yeah. But no, 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 I've been I'm, in a game like that and I, I left. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, you're behind the times. It's Terry Pratchett now. Oh, now is fuck it? off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yeah, so this the, it is it is the new way of. of you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. I'm behind the times. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. It's just Pratchett is shit. You're <laughs> unadulterated shit. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't been contaminated by it, you're safe. All right, Matt. I think we've got the point. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not the only one with opinions. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my buttons. <laughs> so, but I mean, moving back to the idea of comedy, I quite like him. <laughs> you. <bugger. laughs> <laughs> Moving back to the idea of comedy, um, yeah. They, they, again, there's no mechanical tweaks or anything like that you need for this. Um, I, I think most of it is just well, except for a flashing D twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a weighted flashing D twenty. <laughs> except it wasn't weighted. <laughs> well, actually, Kiri's got some um, uh, dice, six sided dice that he gives to people for when they make sanity uh, sanity loss roll. They've got six on every side. <laughs> Nice. I've got five. I've got ones with fives on all sides. Uh, his go up to six. <sighs> yeah, yeah. My, my better if it was seven, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, sometimes people roll them and don't realise a couple <laughs> <Nice>. of times. <laughs> but but I mean, going back to what I was saying a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, get on with it. <laughs> the, um, to, to make a, a game into a comedy, or black comedy game, comedy horror, I think it's mostly just a question of setting expectations. I, what I say is, don't even necessarily go out of your way to write a, a comedy scenario. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, the worst thing you can do to try to make something funny is try to be funny. Yeah. Um, that you know, if instead of trying to emulate your favourite sitcom or put in lots of geeky in jokes and references and stuff like that, if instead of that, like I say, you just you know amp everything up so it's completely over the top, you know, have maybe a few larger than life characters, and more than that, you know, join in the laughter yourself, kind of get the players get laughing. You can have a very funny game without you know writing a single joke or, or comedic situation. Yeah, I think the funniest things happen at the table just. You know, uh, spontaneously yeah. um, between this, this is dynamic between between you and the players um, that, that just happens, um, and obviously white Russians help yeah. with that. Oh yeah, there's a reason I have a cocktail bar at most games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, unless you're a professional standout comedian, don't sit there and expect to tell jokes to the <laughs> to the players. So moving on, <clears throat> survival horror. Yes. Well, we've. Uh, we're awash with this in, uh, in at the cinema. Anything um, by George uh, George Romero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, pretty much anything with zombies in. <laughs> oh, yeah, to some extent, slasher movies, but yeah, 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 yeah anything with a heart. Yeah, I think so. Count. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, it's it, in some respects, it's almost hard to find horror films that don't fit into this mould. I mean, yeah, ghost stories and so on don't. Really, but you know anything where you've got a group of characters where you know they they, they are going to start dropping like flies. But I think it, it kind of implies that the world is out there against them rather than there's one yes. threat. It kind of it seems it seems more mm. like the zombie apocalypse, or um, you know, there's there's some some bigger thing out there in the world that um, almost an unbeatable force. Yeah, thinking of the, horde, the zombie hordes. Otherwise, as you say, it, it does almost come down to any. Yeah. Um, 
any uh, yes, horror horror film is, is survival horror. I mean, if you think of The Shining, is that is that survival horror? I wouldn't really say it is, but it is. They are trying to survive. Yeah, which, I mean, we're all trying to survive. Which version? <laughs> Don't be absurd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the miniseries, right? <laughs> Stephen King. Which, <laughs> which Wicker Man are we talking about? <laughs> well, you mean there's one without Nicholas Cage? Is that, <laughs> is that survival horror? <laughs> no. Right, moving on. <laughs> I was thinking, well, actually, on the tangent, thinking of uh, Shining has been a good example of psychological horror. Yeah, the yeah. we're coming to that. We're coming to that. I know. Yes. I was thinking, that, <laughs> was one, that was one thing I was having trouble trying to think of examples. For All right, yeah. hold, hold your horses, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, survival horror. What can we do for that in a game? Um, I all flesh must be eaten. Pretty much the yes, example, the example, <laughs> the example of survival horror RPG. Talking of that, I went to um, Atomic Burger today. What? Atomic Burger in Oxford. There's a reason you're glowing. Oh right, Adam McLovin Burger. <laughs> was it made with wax sauce? It was made with some kind of sauce, and uh, two burgers, three bits of bread. Um, American cheese, whatever the hell that is. It was melty. Some kind of sauce and pickles. Yeah, it was a great place. It was made from Americans. Yes. <laughs> the, the, I'm sure there was a point to this tangent. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me the brain, need to flip burger. <laughs> that doesn't count as survival horror. I bought a copy of the best of Sam Freeberg as well. I'm glad we got that sorted out, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> so there's a reason your white Russian glass is empty now. Yeah. <laughs> that means so, it needs filling again. <laughs> so, survival horror. I, I, as far as approaching it in the game is concerned, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it strikes me that there's a few fundamentals here. One is limited resources. I mean, we're, t- we're talking about pop games being, you know, having endless ammunition clips and stuff mm-hmm. like that. With survival horror, you know, I, I think it's the fact that you know you've got you know one bullet left, and it's a question of is yeah, it for the monster or is it for you? This mm-hmm. is almost the antithesis of pulp. But was still the same amount of combat, or avoid almost avoidance of combat as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it kind is of desperate, much... a, des- a desperation. Because mm. I think with with uh, the survival horror, you have got to be very much. For me, it's about I can I could be that person stuck in that house with the zombies outside, or you know whatever mm-hmm. the, the monsters are. So I need to be able to associate with that person um, in in the film. I think I need to be able to put myself in their shoes and actually feel that experience. I think avoidance of combat could almost be combat or, more in inverted commas, conflict in itself. Because Mm. you are constantly struggling against the environment. Even if it's not, hey, I'm going toe to toe with a zombie with a chainsaw or whatever, it's still that you are constantly battling against that situation. Yeah, stealth, chase scenes, finding hiding places, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking alien now. Yeah. That is, yeah, survival horror. I mean, another mechanical tweak, or you know, at least you know, a game approach you could use to it, is you know, I, I saw Andrew Kenrick do this at a convention once to very great effect, and you know, a number of other people have certainly done it, which is you know, have a pool of characters so that you, know, um, you establish you know, a bunch of playable NPCs as extras in this. And you, you completely gloves off as a GM with killing off characters, and then you know, some, you know, as soon as your character dies as a player you pick up one of the npcs you know it's got a character sheet and you play that next 
particularly you know, in a one-off game or particularly in a campaign, it's you know it, the, the the threat of death and destruction is an important thing, but actual death and destruction can be quite a an alienating, boring thing because mm-hmm. you know suddenly you've got someone who's sitting there at the table twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, game-wise, a fairly fairly realistic human um, type characters set against great adversity. And basically, and often a multitude of adversities that can be adversaries that can be dealt with, perhaps one to one. But when they're on on mass, yeah, a great example of this: the mist. Mm. Yeah, yes, it's a fight within and without. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, that's perhaps another aspect to it that you know to 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 really bring it home. You know, have you know internal conflicts between the characters or rivalries or you know fighting well night of the living dead again yeah fighting mm-hmm. over limited resources yeah. or anything like that anything that's got to bring friction and then the external pressure starts bringing cracks in yeah so that's that's kind of the where they're locked in that's the pressure cooker and yeah. things start happening right. in that in that enclosed environment just thinking of a storytelling device it'd also be fairly boring if there wasn't that internal conflict anyway because otherwise it's just a constant monotonous them against whatever's outside. That's a good point. It's almost the outside threat is... It's secondary. It's kind of almost secondary. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's what it does to the people inside the... in Well, the pressure cooker, to yeah, use that analogy. That, the, they're yeah. the ones under the microscope. They're the ones that you're looking at all the time. You're not looking at the zombies outside as much as I'd want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly whenever I write a, um, a convention game or a one-shot, I, I always make sure that there are those conflicts between the characters because, yeah, you know, that, that's where the real drama comes from. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, all this talk of uh, internal friction within groups and so on leads us quite nicely on to the next one. Psychological horror. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I think to make it work, you need to do nothing else other than read it out in that voice. Because <laughs> it's all about atmosphere. <laughs> well, it's, it's all about a lot of things. I, I think, you know, what, what defines psychological horror, I mean, as well as obviously the, the, the conflicts between characters and the psychology mm. there... Um, is that it's you know it is fundamentally about the emotional states of the characters, their perceptions, their sense of identity, you know, um, anything that attacks or undermines these things. Yeah, sense of identity. Um, I mean, if we look at um, Memento, yeah, um, not strictly horror, but yeah, kind of touching on it. Or even just uh, using the uh, the very word itself, the film identity. Yeah, yeah. that's a great film. Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, but we're not supposed to talk and, about that. Uh, um, as we referred to earlier, The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, well, basically, where you, you as the viewer or the characters in the story don't quite know what's going on and things are building up and there's paranoia, there's misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is, uh, yeah, I think out of the three of us, this is yeah, more uh, your area, Paul, but in gaming. I, you know, most, most of the, the one-shots I've seen you run and write you know, do tend to you know, play on these things. Oh. And ambiguity as well being a, a big question, that is it all in their heads, for example? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> There's a con- for the listener, there's a contented nod in the corner with a big grin. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the, as far as approaching this as the game is concerned, I, mean, I think most of it comes down to you know, scenario design, keeping secrets at the table, uh, and you know, being an unreliable narrator to the players. Yeah. Um, so there are tools like passing notes, um, which breed paranoia. Um, 
taking people to one side and talking to them in private. Yeah, and bring, then taking your back dice. to the table. Yeah, yeah personally, I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't like anything that kind of breaks up the the group at the table and you know, has five people sitting around looking at each other while one person's off for the GM. But you, you like open well, games, don't you? It doesn't have to be for long. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I'd much rather see that done through notes. But that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, through notes, yeah. Well, notes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes there. Are, I think sometimes it's quicker just to take a person to one side for a few moments. Um, and also, if if they're if the players are really into the game, I've known it. I've taken a player away from the table and then come back to the table, and the, and the players at the table that I've left. When I return, they're still talking about the game, sometimes even in character. Yes. Um, and I've always felt that was something, that was a sign that a game was taken off when, yeah. uh, as keeper, you could sit back and the players would be engaged in conversation and debate very strongly among themselves. I think a prime example of the, what, that happening, not recently, but the last time I can think of it happening, when you took Matt not aside for, I'm going to go and have a word with this particular woman that's residing in this house in Tatters of the King. And then me and Jeff being sat in the main room still talking <laughs> away to ourselves and come up with a plan that, oddly enough, the bad guy was about to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so... Um, Psychological horror. Um, yeah, I, I think another thing that, that feeds into this is um, stacking the characters' backgrounds. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of preloading. Uh, we were talking kind of pre-gens here for a, for a game. Not necessarily pre-gens, I suppose, but a backstory that you can yeah. give to the players. But, but I mean, yeah, you can certainly do that as part of character creation, um, you know, if, if it's not a uh, if it's not a one shot, and if you're not using pregens, well, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, have the. Um, I mean, I do this a lot when I run Sorcerer, for example. That yeah, you know, I'll ask the the, the, the players to write um, you know three paragraphs of, of character background and you know define a few things that they really care about. That's sort of built into the the Sorcerer character generation system, etc. Define NPCs they care about, and then bring all that together and just play with those elements during the campaign. And and make everything come out of that, and you know, if if that's tied in with the psychology of the characters, you can make that into a very effective psychological horror game. Yeah, um, Gumshoe has a good way of emulating that. It's about mainly in relation to paranoia itself. When if someone picks up the paranoia derangement, that you send the player outside of the room and then get the other players to work out what's what's wrong or gone different with the the universe in their absence. Mm, yes. And just again, that messing with perception is a great great little tool. Another one uh, was when uh, I was running... What was I running now? Uh, the, the Walker in the Waste, I think, and you were all in America. And uh, we had a character death, um, and Dave had to have oh, a new character. Yes. So um, I just took Dave to one side. He was creating his character, and I said, um, do you want to be a cultist? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, all right. I thought it was his idea, not yours. You Maybe got... it was his idea. Yeah, it was his idea. What do I mean? <laughs> Damn um, you! So, um... So, I mean, the thing is, he kind of comes in and, uh, you know, the, the players are all like this closely knit little group keeping their, their, their themselves secret from society. And they bump into this other guy and he's like, hello, my name's Bob. <laughs> uh, hello, Bob. What do you do? Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a carpenter. I, I'm, I fight evil too. Oh, come and join us. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much. I don't remember the details, but it, we learned but our lesson. Like, put it like, that way. We're we're players. Oh, 
you know, Dave's lost his character. He's got a new. Oh, oh come and come and just join in, Dave. Yeah, obviously, obviously, we all trust you totally. Here's the plot. Um, how, how long did it take before when he finally poisoned everyone? That was just me and Matt, not just agonising. Do we actually start a combat? It was a while. Yeah. It was a few weeks. Not just that one scene where he drugged everyone at breakfast. That oh was yeah, what I was thinking of, and it was just uh, Matt not came in late. But he played um, it pretty cool for a while. He yeah, did. yeah. Yeah, I think you actually did the big reel in uh, Dave's absence as well. <laughs> oh dear, really? Yeah, you did. Because yeah, he came back next week saying, "What? So have I got another character now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you traitorous scumbag! <laughs> We're going to put you on a rack and make a full character on good guy first. <laughs> no wonder you're giving my latest character a hard time. Yeah, <laughs> we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the next one we came up with was body horror. Um, Aka anything by David Cronenberg. Yes, I yeah, that, that, this. I mean, it, out of all of these, this is probably the one that you know perhaps most leaks into other types. Um, but you know, it, it is sort of to you know anatomy of flesh what psychological horror uh, is to the minds of the characters, where you know for whatever reason they can you know no longer trust to their own bodies. Uh, they you know they, they're mutating, they're changing, you know they're they're diseased. Um, I mean, this certainly you know bleeds over incredibly strongly into Lovecraftian horror, you know, from the shadow of Rinsmith, where you know, you, you know who knows what's lurking under your bloodline, to the colour out of space, where you know some the uh, ineffable. I've got to stop using that word. Well, that's the third time this episode. <laughs> I was thinking some... of, the, of the trope of in inverted commas. I know I've used that a few times as well. <laughs> uh, you know, some some incomprehensible entity from beyond the stars comes in and starts <laughs> sucking the life out of you. And, um, and so does body horror have to be happening to the investigator? Not necessarily, no. but I think it's all the more potent in the game if you know if it does, um, because uh, th- there's something about the revulsion that it brings that's incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, people you know in Call of Cthulhu you know are used to their characters going mad and dying, but you know as we talked about in the corruption episode you know, ten episodes back or whatever, um, we, you know, it, when, when things start happening, you know, that, that are beyond that, start, you know, again, changing your sense of identity, uh, changing your sense of self, you know, it, you know, leading to you not being able to recognise what that is in the mirror anymore, then that, you know, hits uh, players, I think, in a completely different way and one that they're not expecting. One, I think you turn that turn that on its head. Um, one of the examples of a body horror against an antagonist that works very well in film is Lord of Illusion, especially mm. with um, it just reinforces that how alien and how wrong um, the the magician I can't remember his name now um, the magician in that film is. And um, say even with the line that flesh is a prison and magic sets us free, let's say it's it's another it's an interesting angle to take it that I haven't seen used. Well, do, do, do you want to define that a bit more? You know, what do you mean by flipping out on his head? Well, in the sense that it's that you you said about how it makes more of an impact when it's a PC that's affected by it. I'm yeah. thinking that that is most certainly an NPC in that kind of role. If you had um, the Scott Bakula character as being your PC and the yeah. typical investigator, Harry Damore. Yes, that's it. Um, whereas if you have, we have a <laughs> guest cat somewhere. <laughs> yes, ignore the meowing. It's none of us. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, but if you have. Um, that transformation start to take place in an NPC or again in the antagonist. I still think that works very potently. As seeing when you're saying it's more more potent with PCs, I think it's it works equally well in that kind of situation because yeah. it emphasises that quality of them. Yeah, I th- I th- I'd, I'd stick with it being more powerful if it's a player character because you, I, as keeper, I can be describing 
you know, the spiders hatching out in that blister under your skin, and I can be talking to you specifically um, and describing that. And as a player, you're visual, you know, you're visualizing what's happening to your character. Yeah. So I think it, it makes it more personal. Um, Especially if you're an arachnophobe. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the classic example of this from media, I'd say, is probably Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah, but uh, having a you know a player character going through something like that, you know that 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 you know it, the, the good thing about it is that you know unlike going completely insane, unlike your character dying, it doesn't take your character out of play. It if it, anything makes it more interesting to play, but it is still utterly revolting. Hmm. You've done it to me twice by turning me into a ghoul. <laughs> <laughs> you did it to yourself. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. You will go around eating brains. I didn't even eat a brain in one instance. (laughs) Once, anyway. So, next one on the list. Splatter horror. Yeah, or just splatter in general. I mean, this sort of, I I think, ties in with what we were talking about with comedy. Yeah, it, it... it again you know, involves ramping everything up. Um, I mean, you can look at, you know, say, something like Peter Jackson's Brain Dead or Dead Alive, as it was in the US, um, as you know, being you know, both splatter and comedy. Because, you know, uh, because again, you know, it relies on the, the comedic reaction to just throwing buckets of blood and gore all over the place. Buckets, vats. Um, but yeah, there, there are certainly you know films that that ramp up the goal without expecting a, a comedic reaction. Um, yeah, I, I think some of the uh, the French films of recent years have been quite good at that. You know, things like Inside Frontiers, you know, maybe Martyrs to some extent. Uh, do they ramp up the goal? They certainly ramp up the kind of violence and um, threat. I'm just trying uh, to think. In, of in, the... Inside certainly does. It's, yeah. it's quite a blood splattered film. I'm shaking my head as I've not seen any of them. I was just thinking um, of things like Hostel and Vacancy, for example. Yeah. Well, yeah. Probably more towards the violent side rather than the splatter side. Well, yeah, no, I, I'd say you know, uh, Hostel is a fairly splattered field film. Mm. Uh, it's not one that I liked at all, but... Um, I've only ever seen the last half hour or so. Okay. Well, I, I would think if these, if we're talking about these subgenres of horror as being... Um, flavors of ice cream that the splatter thing is more like a, a sauce on top really it's something yeah. you kind of add, kind of add in your description and, and kind of narrative it's not um to get a kind of an, an immediate kind of reaction from the players just uh, something you're good at scott is kind of describing um uh kind of visceral bloody scenes of things happening to i don't know eyeballs or flesh or you know entrails and yeah. And so yes, on. Yes, yeah, so, so someone doesn't just get you know shot with a gun. You know, they, they they you know part of their anatomy is blown off. They feel you know they feel the blood pouring out of their system. They're in shock or whatever. Um, it, you know, if a creature you know, falls upon them, they don't just take you know a d8 damage. They they can feel its teeth ripping into their flesh, and you know everyone else can see the blood splattering across the balls. Yeah, and if you do that to good effect, like you do, I think I've you know I felt. Um, a kind of a sense of repulsion at some of your descriptions. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and obviously that, that is the intention. Of, mm. But when you see that written in a book, oh, it shouldn't just be D6 damage, it should be some description, and then you say how many points of damage. It's like, I think a lot of people read that and they think, oh, what should I do? Oh, uh, you get shot in the thigh and you take three points of damage. Yeah. That's not really it. Um, it. It needs to be more of more than that, like you've just sort of said. So I just got shot in the thigh, Scott. What's happened? 
Yeah, well, you, you, you feel you know, this tearing feeling in your, your leg. You know, you're disoriented from the bang. You collapse down onto the ground. You don't know why your leg's not supporting you anymore, but there's blood pouring all over the place. You're, you're dizzy, you're disoriented, and there, there's, you know, that, that lunatic's still waving the gun around. What the hell's going to happen now? Great. Now I can, I can almost feel it happening. <laughs> uh, I know people that would have passed out from that description. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Never, I had, I had never friend, let me near them because that, that was as mild as I can make definitely it. Definitely would never have played horror games because any any talk of blood and he had trouble standing up. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think a, a good description of that. It's it's a pretty. I was going to say it's an it's not necessarily an easy thing to do well, but it's a fairly simple technique to use if you remember to use it. Just try and visualize what's happening in your head and yeah. think of the repercussions of it. And, and communicates it. Yeah, I, and I think a big part of that is the immediacy of it as well. I mean, yeah, but don't don't stop to think too much about it. Don't try to craft it properly. Just get that image in your head and let the words pour out. Yeah, yeah I think of reactions uh, or player uh, player reactions that I know I've run cult before, and that had one uh, one poor girl at the table that uh, didn't probably realise what cult was when she signed up for it. Um, with a person running uh, running their hands up against a wall covered in ra- razor blades, and some of the description had her with her jaw hitting the ground, <laughs> going yeah. uh, turning pale. And you signed up for the wrong game, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, a cult is kind of the epitome of the splatter game as oh, well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a large part of psychological horror to it. There's a large part of kind of existential um, and religious horror to it. Mm. Yeah, we didn't really cover religious horror here, but. Um, Oh, well, uh, yeah. We gave, it, we gave yeah. it a nod. Yeah, all right, religious horror, yeah, think of it something like The Exorcist. The Omen. Yeah, I mean, what's under assault is the character's faith, maybe, or, you know, certainly uh, their, their belief in uh, in goodness and their ability to stand up against things. And one of the great strengths of that is that uh, certainly we've been brought up in a kind of Christian-based society, and whether you are Christian or not, that you've got those kind of things, you know, in your head. So, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you could you know, do a mechanical tweak to Call of Cthulhu very easily to turn it into something you know, along those lines and just replace sanity with faith and put that under attack by various blasphemous acts and so on. And, you know, it's sort of like the, the exorcists in The Exorcist, you know, they're in the face of all this, they're trying to keep hold of their faith and the power that brings them despite, you know, the fact that it's being chipped away by, you know, the, the horrors of the adversary. It relates in part to Lovecraftian horror because, again, it grounds it very much in reality. Um, shout out for one of my favourite games that I wish someone had ever run for me so I can actually get to play the damn thing rather than me run it all the time. Um, Heaven and Earth. It's like amazing little game. So just very rarely played these days, unfortunately. Mm. Let's, let's wrap it up there for tonight. All right. So, yes, th- thanks to Alistair Warmington for his suggestion for this episode. And I, I hope we got somewhere near the topic and didn't just ramble around it. Um, Speak for yourself. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, uh, on uh, Google Plus as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, albeit a community. Oh, hang on, no, we've got a page on there as well. I, I don't we have, but nobody knows about that. Yeah, we we don't know how to use the page, so look for the community instead. If you find the page, there's probably nothing on it, and it's it's only there so we can make Facebook. Uh, no, so we can make YouTube. Them. We've got a YouTube page. Yeah, as well. we've got a YouTube channel. Yeah, yes, the YouTube channel. And we're on YouTube as the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. We are. And we're on Twitter as the Good Friends of JE, because Twitter namespaces suck. You like that, don't you, Scott? Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought we are showing the personal touch that we can get to know him on that kind of intimate term. Yes. And um, you can also find us on blasphemoustones.com. 
uh, that place we call home. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's it for tonight. So it's good night from me. Uh, cheerio. And farewell.